Welcome to Speaking of Grace, the weekly message podcast from the Whole Life Church in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation committed to our mission of loving people into a lifelong friendship with God. We are committed to our vision of being a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Hey there, family. Do you have a place at the table? You do. You do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in these few moments that I speak, I pray that you would be heard and not me. I pray that you would impress on each one of your children here that they have a place at the table. I pray in your name. Amen. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to follow along with me. We're going to be reading out of Luke, the 22nd chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16. This is talking about the Last Supper. Um, as we commonly refer to it, it's the, the supper that occurred right before Jesus' trial and execution. It was Passover time, which is a Jewish holiday. And Luke 22, verses 14 through 16 says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is the meaning of this meal? And how will it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God? If you know me, you know, I like to, to ask you a question and let you take it home and deal with it. And that's what I'm going to do today, because I'm not going to directly answer it, but if you listen to the, carefully to the, to the sermon, you might get a couple of directions. But I want you to really ponder it. What is the meaning, and what will be fulfilled in the kingdom of God? You know, I got to thinking about a table this week. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about tables normally. But I started to ask myself, what's the purpose of a table? And the first thing I know that came to my mind was, was kind of this picture. This is our Christmas meal 2020. Anyone else have a small Christmas gathering in 2020? Yeah? Um, this is me with my family, Kyla, Eric, Rochelle. We're having our Christmas meal there. And this is uh, me getting the obligatory Christmas photo. You can see... Eric thinks it's a fantastic idea. <laughs> and I uh, and, uh, said, more pictures, please. Yeah, no, um, and you can see the food that's there on the table. You can see that we're eating. And so a table, table holds plates. It holds food. Provides a place for getting sustenance, right? So it's strength that you need for the life that you're living. But the truth is that you can eat your meals by yourself. You can eat a meal on a tray in front of a TV. You can eat a meal on a park bench out of a paper sack. You don't have to have a table for sustenance. One more picture. 
And to me, this embodies what the real purpose of a table is. This isn't even our own home table, okay? But this is taken uh, at the end of this summer. Eric and Kyla had both worked at summer camps over the summer, and they'd been gone, and we had not had our family together. And we drove up to where Eric was working near the end of the summer with Kyla, and this is the first time we'd seen Eric in, in, in a number of weeks. And it was the first time as a family we'd had a meal together. Do I look a little excited? <laughs> That's the purpose of a table. A table isn't just about feeding somebody. It's about bringing people together. It's about community. Around a table, you engage with the people you love. And at some holiday meals, with the people you have to love. I say that jokingly, but there's a metaphor in there, isn't it? Let me ask you a question. What would it take for Eric and Kyla not to be welcome at my table? For those of you who have children, what would it take for your children to not be welcome at your table with you? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not... I'm not the greatest father. You can ask Kyle and Eric, but please don't. Um, and I'm not the greatest husband. But one thing I know is that I cannot think of anything, anything, that would make me say to my child, you are not welcome at my table. Jesus says something in the Gospels that I think really resonated with this movie because I was thinking about what it would take for my children to not be welcome at my table. He said, if you who are sinful parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? So if I can't think of anything as an imperfect father that would separate my kids, make me not want to have them at my table, then surely the God that loves far better than I do can't think of anything. Romans 8, 35 through 39, for there is nothing in all creation that can separate us from the love of God, which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you are feeling a little uncomfortable with that. Yeah, but, I mean, well, let's go ahead and look at this Last Supper scenario. How many disciples were at the table? This is not a trick question. How many? Twelve. There's Jesus, twelve disciples, right? So let's talk about that for a second. All 12 were invited to the table. All 12 were allowed to be at the table. 
All 12 entered, the Bible tells us, with selfish ambition. I want to be the greatest. I want to be the greatest. That's why none of them would get up and wash each other's feet. None of them did it. All entered with selfish ambition. All 12 would desert Jesus before the evening was over. Peter would deny Jesus three times. Judas would betray Jesus. And yet all 12, including Peter and Judas, had their feet washed by Jesus. All 12, including Peter and Judas, received the bread from Jesus. All 12, including Peter and Judas, received the wine from Jesus. They all had a place at the table until one of them decided that he did not want to be at the table. That's what would keep my kids from my table. Let's see how Jesus deals with Judas at that table. Jesus responded. His disciples have asked, he's, he's told them, somebody's going to betray me. They're like, what, what? And Peter, being Peter, looks at John and goes, ask him. Ask him who it is. And, and so they're, they're in really close proximity to each other. And so John kind of leans over, and, and the Bible indicates that Judas, John, and Jesus were close, really close to each other. The others were a little bit in, in different spacing. But John reach, leans over and says to Jesus, who is it? And, and Jesus says, it's the one whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas. I think what we need to understand, sometimes you read this and you think this is way more public than it was. Jesus did not embarrass Judas. He didn't embarrass him. But what he did do is he let Judas know that he knew. And lest we look at that bread and think something, there, there's, there's some significance to that bread. The commentaries that I've read on this all agree on this. They say that basically in those times, if you were the, 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 the owner, the, the person who is providing the feast and you wanted to show special honor to one of your guests, you would dip some food and hand it to that person personally. And so far from Jesus calling Judas out, Jesus is saying, I love you, Judas. You matter to me. Think again. But instead of allowing it to melt his heart, it hardened his heart. The Bible says when Judas ate the bread, Satan had entered, entered into him. Why? Not because Jesus put Satan in him, but because he had said, I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And so Jesus said to him at that point, do what you're going to do. And when I read that, I clearly hear Jesus saying, I'd rather you, what you do is stay here at the table with me. But if that's not what you're going to do, if what you're going to do is betray me, then go and do it. Don't sit here and pretend. Significant. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Jesus could have humiliated him in that moment. Here's the guy that's betraying me. Here he is. We love to do that at church, don't we? Let's call it out. 
Let's call it out. This person, that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus always dealt with people gently and in a small, one-on-one kind of environment. With the exception of when the Pharisees would call him out in a public place and Jesus had to say, well, if you want to talk about it publicly, we can. Okay, since Judas was their treasure, some thought Jesus was telling him to go away, pay for the food. So Jesus left, Judas left at once, going out into the night. Significant, going out into the night. That was Judas' choice. So I'm going to ask you again, look at my family and ask you this question. Who's not welcome at my table? Who's not welcome? Which one of those kids do I not want at my table? Jesus wanted Judas at the table with him. Judas didn't want to be there. Judas was smarter. Judas didn't want to be at the table. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is filled in the kingdom of God. What will that kingdom of God look like? It's our scripture for today. When Jesus comes back again in Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. Did you hear that? All the people of the world. This was revolutionary thought in Isaiah's time to say to the Jewish people, all the people, not just you, all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. You have a place at the table. Will you be there? Will you be there? It's your choice. Seventh-day Adventists do something that really weirds people out who aren't used to Seventh-day Adventist stuff. We do something that Jesus did in this story. Jesus went and washed the feet of his disciples. And those times, everybody walked around in sandals on dirt roads. Your feet got really dirty. And when when you would eat at a table, you'd recline. So nobody wants dirty feet at that point, right? So they would have somebody there to wash the feet of people coming in. It was considered the lowest job anybody could possibly have. And when the disciples failed to have somebody lined up to wash feet at this last supper that Jesus would have, Jesus did it himself, making it known that he was willing to come and serve us. And equally as important, I want you to think about this. Jesus was also making a point about the only person able to cleanse us. You can't wash your own feet and get clean enough. Only Jesus can wash your feet and make them clean enough. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. In our modern context, it's not our feet that get dirty as much when we are out walking. We got shoes. There are fewer and fewer dirt roads anymore. But I don't know about you, but whenever my parents would invite me to the table, they'd say, go wash your hands before you come to the table. In our modern context, it's our hands that are dirty, that we wash very carefully in preparation to eat. And the temptation is to take that and to think, well, I could wash my own feet, hands, and take care of my own self. But the truth is that Jesus 
needs to wash you to make you really clean. You can't do it yourself. You need Jesus. And so today we're turning our tradition a little bit in a different direction. We've, you've each gotten a little wet wipe when you came in. And if you didn't, please raise your hand. Please raise your hand. And uh, we will get you a little wet wipe if you need one. And what we're going to ask you to do today, instead of washing feet, we're going to ask you to wash the hands of a person near you. And then allow, your, allow someone else to wash your hands with that wet wipe. I want to go ahead and say it may feel a little uncomfortable. It may feel a little bit strange. But I want to invite you to embrace that difference. And what I want to invite you to do as that person washes your hands, I want to invite you to picture Jesus today washing your hands. While this happens, our music team are going to play a song. and invite you to really enter this experience. Allow somebody to wash your hands and wash someone else's hands. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Cause your name is power Your name is healing Speak the holy 
name Jesus Shall Jesus come the mountains and Jesus in the streets Jesus in the darkness over We're now going to celebrate the emblems that represent Jesus' body and that represent his shed blood. The Seventh-day Adventist, we practice what's called open communion, which means that if you're a believer in Christ, meaning if you want a seat at the table, you're welcome to participate in communion. We do this in remembrance of Christ. We are reminded that the bread represents his body that was broken. In Jesus' time, bread represented strength. It represented the ability to get things done. Without bread, you starve to death. And without Jesus, we starve to death. Jesus said his blood was for the forgiveness of our sins. It's amazing that something Grape juice and blood are hard to get out in the laundry. And what's amazing is that Jesus' blood is the greatest cleanser known, capable of cleansing anything. So as you partake of this, we do not believe this is the literal body and blood of Christ, but what we do believe is that they are sacred. They are set apart. They're holy because of what they remind us of and what they symbolize. So what we'll be doing is giving you an opportunity in just a moment to partake of these emblems in your chosen family group. It may be your blood relative. It may be somebody that you don't know at all. This is the first time you're meeting at church, but because you are a believer in Christ, 
and they are a believer in Christ, your family. But we'll invite you to partake of these, to pray together, and then once you've partaken of these, to just be quiet. Be still, God says, and know that I am God. And the beauty of it is, is that God is in you. That's what he promised, to live in us. The Holy Spirit does that. And so I'm going to read a couple verses, and then I'm going to say a prayer. Once I've done that, our music team is going to sing a song. While they sing, we're going to invite you to partake of these emblems with reverence, with gratitude for what Jesus has done. The Bible records that while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it all. Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Dear Jesus, we are grateful for your sacrifice. We are grateful for your love. We are grateful that each one of us, in spite of the things we feel the most shame for, have been welcomed and invited to the table. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone out there who's thinking about giving up their seat at the table, that they would rethink it, that they would remember that they can deny you three times and you'll still welcome them back. That you're the God who said that don't forgive seven times, but 70 times seven. You're the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, and endless chances. Thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. May gratitude flow through us. May we have the courage and strength that your body will give us and the knowledge of our forgiveness through the blood that you shed and the grape juice that we drink now, we pray in your name. Amen. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.